welcome everybody. Um, just it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I just have a question for you. What would it be like that if if I really came into an experience of God's love, of, of Father's love, not just knowing that He loves me, but actually experience that? How would it actually change me? In 1979, as a young teenager just left uh, high school, I should say grammar school at that time, I worked in Sydney, Australia, where I was born, and I lived in Sydney, Australia until 25. And uh, I was working in this, my first job was with a stockbroker. And uh, in this office, there were a couple of um, young women my age, you know, teenagers just out of school. And they invited me to go have lunch with them. But what I didn't know, they were actually uh, believers. And they invited me across from uh, downtown Sydney to uh, Botanical Gardens, just from, up from the Opera House. And uh, all of a sudden, they started to witness to me. And I don't remember a single thing they said. <laughs> but one of, the, one of the girls there, she had these eyes. And out of those eyes were this, just this love pouring out of them. And sometimes you don't have to actually uh, speak words. Sometimes that love of God just pours out of you. And, and if I think about the, my journey, I didn't become a believer until I was 40. Uh, that was a pivotal moment in my life as far as the seed being planted. And uh, fast forward that till 2012 as I was a believer. I went down to North Carolina for a month uh, to the Restoring the Foundations office where uh, in the International Training Center where my wife Annalisa and I were being trained up for Restoring the Foundations ministry. And they told us about this, uh, this uh, event that was going to go six days at the end of it called an A school. I had no idea what an A school was. I didn't even know the speakers. But it, all as I knew that there were very few seats or li limited spaces available. And if you didn't snap it up fast, then you were going to miss out. So uh, we just thought, well, we're in for, the, in for the hamburger. We might as well go for the full meal deal here. And uh, all of a sudden, I, at, the, at the start of this, I started hearing about uh, I started receiving into my heart this message about how the Father loves me. And uh, the whole purpose of actually Jesus dying the cross was to bring us into that relationship back again and restore us back to the Father. And I received, uh, I received prayer and impartation of this love. And I remember at the end of that, I went back to, came back to Nelson and my friend, uh, Rob Rollerman, who uh, was pastor here for a while, and Rob and I are still friends in constant contact, he said to me, uh, I described what it, what it was, and he said to me, there's something changed about you because I can see it in your eyes. And uh, when, when you receive that love, it just, it, it completely changed me. I walked around, and uh, Nelson, driving around Nelson, I could just feel this love and compassion for people. It really changed me. So, I want you now just to think about, uh, imagine if there was a book, and the book was called My Dad, okay? And it described my dad 
It's just what an incredible dad he was. And he had, um, he had this effect on people. And uh, when people encountered it, he would, he would change. In fact, this, people were really drawn to this book as I gave it copies out to my, to my friends. Pretty soon, uh, more and more wanted people wanted copies. And it spread all over North America. In fact, it became a, a bestseller on the New York bestseller list. People couldn't get enough of this book. And in fact, uh, people had study groups together studying about the awesomeness of my dad. And uh, even they really wanted to understand what all about my dad. In fact, some people even disagreed on the interpretation of my dad and had little splinter groups off here. And they thought that this is really who my dad is. But when they actually came to meet Dad, and in fact, Dad just had to walk by you, and you might even, just by walking by, you would have this incredible peace that would last and wouldn't go away once you had an encounter with him. And, uh, but the thing about my dad was that he had the incredible ability to be a dad, not only to me, but to everybody who came to him. He wanted to come in, and when you came into his embrace, there was a love that completely changed you and changed you forever. And you could come into a relationship where you could continually have that embrace. So that's the story of my dad. So it's your dad too. But, so what is an A school? Well, it's actually a six day event and I don't even know if we could say that it's a, a school. I don't know if that's an appropriate word, but they were trying to think of something that wouldn't make it sound like it was a conference. So they called it a school, and they called it an A school. It's a six-day event uh, that's a continuing revelation of who the Father is and come into an experience of the Father. And that's what it is. And, uh, and so... I invite you to come to that, that event here. It's pretty incredible that it's going to be held here at the Junction Church. It's a message that will change you, and it will change you. It just uh, If you want to talk to about anybody about how the, the love of the Father can change you, you can talk to Scott Martin, so you can talk to Brian here, or you can talk to Michael and Cara. It's a message that will make you even travel all halfway across the world to New Zealand. And just to get more of it, which I know Michael and Cara have. And my wife Annalisa and I leave on Wednesday for a whole month with Father Heart Ministries in New Zealand. But uh, it's, uh, it's a credible opportunity. But I, I don't want you to come to the conference if you think, if you don't, I don't want you to come if you think this is just another conference and that it's going to fill yourself with head knowledge. And we walk away we're saying, that's nice. Don't come. But I do want you to come if you think this is going to change your life and it's going to change you. Uh, you walk with the, with the Father forever and you get to know who he is. And uh, the cost of the conference is $560, but that's for six days. That's with meals. Uh, most meals except for breakfast. And uh, just become open. Now, I can't guarantee if you're going to come into an experience 
of the Father. Uh, it's, it's a process, but I guarantee you will be changed to some point by coming to this time of the A school. I don't think it's any coincidence that this has been held at a church that's on the corner of Eden and Garden Road. You know, like, I've said that before in front of this church body. Uh, you know, this is a time when revival is on, um, is, we hear about it. But I hear so many people uh, that are church leaders talking about that the revival is about the love of the Father. And people receiving that, people experiencing it, but being able to give it away. I think that this is just one step for this the body here, to come into that place, getting ready for that. Uh, I'll give you a story. As a, a guy I know at uh, U Church in Calgary went down to California for the Father Heart uh, Conference with James Jordan, which some of you remember James was here back in September. Uh, he had such an experience there that he came back and his co-worker, who is not a believer, came into his office and she just fell over right in front of him. And with it, because... The experience of that love is something that just people just feel in the room. Imagine what that could do if everybody uh, started being changed in this body, how that would draw people into the church here. I've seen how it's changed uh, churches. The U Church in Calgary, who you may remember Brad Redding, was back here in August of last year, and uh, he was here, and Jesse was sitting on his lap so kindly. And... Uh, Anyway, in that time when Richard Jones was speaking, um, that, that church, your uh, church in Calgary, uh, I've seen a transformation in their body that as they get hold of this message, uh, how it transforms the church itself. So I'm really excited that this is coming to the Junction Church and I think it's the right time. I urge you to do what you can to come to this and don't miss the opportunity that there is. Uh, coming, and it's from the 24th of August to the 30th. So you can register with uh, at, at here. I think you can register online. Can you, Jason? And uh, you can also, uh, if you want to pay uh, pay installments as well. So I just bless you all, and uh, I just uh, just pray the Father would just touch your heart, and if He touches your heart, and you feel drawn to come, I really urge you just do it. Okay. Thank you very much. Some of us have already signed up. I've signed up, and uh, and just encourage you to. You have enough time to put a hundred dollars a month away uh, for this event, and we are just locally as a church offering um, some one hundred dollar scholarships. So um, you can just talk to me or others uh, about that if you would like a little bit of financial help. Uh, I mean, I, uh, I went to a summer school a few years ago in Vancouver. It was twelve hundred bucks for a week and no meals, and so. We've tried to actually keep the cost as low as possible, so, um, and we'll keep talking more about that. I think some of the kids have gone, but if there's still children left, uh, they at least want to go to Sunday school and they can head out. And so, Father, we pray your blessing over our Sunday school. Uh, God, uh, thank you for the children in our midst. God, we thank you for the life, and thank you for the noise and the laughter and just uh, them being here. God, we just honor our kids in our midst. And God, we uh, thank you for your work. 
in our lives and in our hearts. And we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit might move in us. You continue to teach us uh, just about who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we have been uh, working through a series uh, called The Upper Room. And uh, we didn't get very far. We were trying to go work through it through Easter, but we made it barely two chapters. And we still got two and a half more, but uh, we'll work on it after Easter as well. Uh, but the upper room is this whole uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, is this discourse that at least begins in the upper room, where Jesus meets with his disciples for one last meal before he is arrested and later crucified. And and as he's saying these words we've been reading through, he really only has a few hours left before he's arrested. And so these are some of the most powerful, life-changing teachings of Jesus, some of his very last words that carry a lot of meaning and a lot of power. So we've been uh, just jumping in the upper room along with the disciples, sitting at that table and just allowing Jesus to speak to us. And we've been learning a lot uh, about our relationship with the Father and how Jesus has brought us to the Father and uh, we're going to continue on and pick it up in verse 14 or 15. And we're going to read through this. And this, this text here has a lot of stuff in it. And so it's going to take a few weeks to get through. But we're going to pull out a few different themes. And uh, we're going to pull out one today. So this is the, the next section of scripture. Uh, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, the, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself each, uh, to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? <coughs> Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative... That is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Now, there's a lot of stuff in that. Uh, but the theme we're going to pull out uh, today is from the very first line. And this is the relationship between love and obedience. Because we see this mentioned actually four times in that one little section of scripture. So in, in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me. You will obey my commands in John uh, 14, 21. Those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. John uh, 14, 23. All who love me will do what I say. In verse 24, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. So clearly, Jesus is saying there's some sort of relationship between love 
and obedience. And so that's going to be our little talk today. Um, it is important whenever you read the scriptures to understand that sometimes we, without knowing it, will read a certain tone of voice into the scripture. Um, we know when we're talking to each other that your tone of voice <laughs> makes a huge difference in, in what you're saying or what I'm saying. I mean, I could say, uh, I could take that phrase, let's have that conversation again. And depending on my tone, it will carry a whole different meaning. I mean, I could say that in a very excited, loving way, like, let's have that conversation again. Like, I'm super stoked to be with you, and I really want to talk to you. I could say that, let's have that conversation again. Like, I'm angry and ticked at you, and I don't want to be around you. I could say that in a real sarcastic way, well, let's have that conversation again, like you just want to keep telling me, right? <laughs> Um, so when we read the Bible, uh, we're sometimes kind of interpreting the, the tone, and sometimes our interpretation of the tone can get us off onto the wrong path. Uh, one passage that is kind of like this is, is Genesis 3, and I know people who will read this with different tones of voice and end up with a completely different picture of God. Uh, Genesis 3, 8, this is after Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, uh, and they sin. And they're ashamed, and they cover themselves up. And it says, when the cool evening breeze, uh, breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So God is walking through the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Uh, so some will read this tone, and where are you? Like, I'm angry with you. You sinned. I told you not to eat at the tree. And I'm going to come and get you. And, and he's walking around the garden trying to find them so he can get them. <laughs> you could read the, that kind of tone. Or you could read a very loving tone in this. His, his children have fallen. Uh, they're filled with shame. And he's walking through the garden looking for them like, like where are you? Like, I want to connect with you. I want to, I want to love you. I want to I be in relationship with you. You see, the tone in how you read something can end up, it can cause you to end up in a completely different spot. And the same is true when we read these passages about Jesus talking about love and obedience and commandments. I mean, uh, was Jesus saying, you know, all who love me will do what I say? <laughs> no. Was his focus on obedience or was his focus more on the idea of love? Uh, depending on your tone, you could read this passage entirely differently and come up with a, a totally different picture of, of Jesus and maybe what he is wanting. I mean, is the Christian life the most important thing? Is it obedience? Or is the most important thing a relationship with God where out of that flows this desire to please and to love God? And I'm going to argue for the second because I believe that Jesus' uh, his tone was very loving here. I believe the Father loves us. Uh, incredibly and wants to be in relationship with us and needs to be read in, in, in that kind of tone. And we see that Jesus, uh, and, and throughout the whole scriptures, we see that the main story of the Bible is actually love and relationship. We see the story of people like the Pharisees, what we might call negative religion, always has this focus of obedience. And uh, obedience, if you say that that is the most important thing, it will tend to leave you leads you down a road that tends to leave a lot of junk in your path, broken relationships. Uh, maybe even you may feel distant from God. I mean, we see that the people who were the most focused on obedience were the Pharisees. 
mean, if you ask anybody in those days who obeys God the best, everybody would say it would be the Pharisees. I mean, Paul was one of those guys. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. You talk about someone who obeyed every single little 613 rule from the Old Testament. It was the Pharisees. It was Paul. He obeyed them without fault. And I don't think he was just trying to lie. I think he did it. And once uh, I thought these were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So he once was focused on obedience, and now he shifts his attention to what Jesus has, has done. And that is, he switches attention to this idea of that our relationship with God flows out of relationship, not of this idea that's all just about obedience. In fact, Jesus would look at the Pharisees and actually said to them that they were children of the devil. And yet they were the ones who were obedient to the, to the very little letter of the law. And Jesus looks at them and says, you're, you're children of the devil. We see the, this, this, this difference between a humble heart of relationship and love and obedience in the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisees, and this is Luke 18. Jesus says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, and adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income and does all these other things. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. That is right in God's eyes. I mean, the guy who followed all the, all the rules without fault missed out on a relationship with God. But this other first person who just, like, God, I need you. I, I keep messing up, and I'm, have mercy on me. Jesus says, this is the one who is actually right with God. See, the primary message of the Bible is relationship. And if you hear that the primary message of the Bible is all these rules, and you've just got to obey, you, you miss something. In fact, people who often walk solely out of, out of obedience will often end up in, in, in kind of this position where either they're going to be pride, filled, filled with pride or they're going to be filled with despair. Uh, they'll be filled with pride because they, they think they're doing awesome and they're better than everybody else. You know, if everybody else would just be obedient like I'm obedient, the church would be a much better place. You know, if everybody would just obey like me, uh, then we would have no issues in this world because after all, I'm just this amazing person. Or you end up in despair like I just can't do it. You know, I keep messing up, and I keep trying, and I just feel so ashamed, and I'm just a horrible person. I shouldn't even come to church, and you just end up in despair. And at the same time, you end up hurting relationships. Because all of a sudden, you start looking at your kids or your wife or people around you, and you think they're not measuring up, and so you just suddenly look down. You can't love people if you're looking down on them. And all of a sudden, your relationship with God begins to, because you begin to be distant from Him, because if, if it's all about obedience, and that's the only thing God wants... Then, then, then I just can't measure up, and then you know, better not come into God's presence because I'm a screw-up, and you just end up distancing yourself from God. The primary thing that God is looking for in your life is relationship. A love relationship with God, and the thing that we're going to find that comes out of this is actually the more you dive into your relationship with God, the more you're actually going to have this desire to please Him. 
I mean, there is one human that I, if you use the word obey, more than any other. There's one human that when, when uh, she asks me to do something, I do, and that's my wife. <laughs> uh, because I love her. Because I love her. And uh, out of that love, I just want to serve her. I want to bless her. I want to please her. And it's out of love. Uh, but there's other people who come and maybe ask me for some of the same things. I'd just be like, you know, I just don't have time to do those kind of things because it's just not the same. The more you develop your love relationship with God, all of a sudden these things just become actually part of your heart and, and part of what you want to do. I mean, Jesus did not fit into this religious mold of, you know, you got to obey all the rules and you got to be perfect in, in, in every way. I mean, for instance... Uh, Jesus hung around people that the religious people despised. Because, again, it's where negative religion leads. It will lead to a place where you need to put people away, and you need to think you're better than them, and you start saying, well, you actually don't belong in the club because you can't follow all the rules. But Jesus actually hung around people that the religious despised. I mean, he was actually called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In Mark 2, Levi, who was a tax collector, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. You see that? Jesus had these kind of people as his followers. Now, in negative religion, you would never do that because it makes you as a leader look bad. Because you're tainting my little perfect group here, you know? Uh, but Jesus had uh, many of those people among his followers. But the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? This is where negative religion, it's all about the rules and obedience, it kind of ends up. All of a sudden you got to, well, you don't fit in my club, you can't be a part of us because you're not measuring up. And I just can't love you the same because you're not doing what I demand in the strictest sense. Jesus was free to hang around with people who the religious people thought were scum. Uh, Jesus pursued those who were not living in obedience. Again, negative religion always leads to a pushing of away of those who are not living in obedience. Well, I'm not going to hang around with you, you know, uh, because you're not following all the rules. Jesus actually pursued these kinds of people. In John 4, uh, he goes up to a Samaritan woman, and that was a no-no. You didn't talk to a Samaritan, especially if they were a woman. Jesus goes and engages her. It says, I see that you're thirsty, and I happen to have the answer to your thirst. Uh, Nehemiah, it says, they refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, and rich in unfailing love, you did not abandon them. You see, negative religious people will abandon those kinds of people. God pursues. Because uh, God is about relationship. He was not looking at Adam and Eve and saying, Where are you? I'm going to kiss you. He's, Where are you? And he does that when, 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 uh, when, even when we uh, begin to wander, wander off. Or see, Jesus loved his enemies. You know, died for his enemies. Uh, religious people don't tend to do that. Uh, there's this old uh, saying, and I've used this before, the difference between sort of negative religion and Christianity, the gospel. Uh, religion says, do, do, do. The gospel says, it is finished. Religion is about what I have to do. The gospel is about what Jesus has done. Religion says you need to work for forgiveness. The gospel says you are forgiven. 
Religion says God will love you if. The gospel says I love you now. Religion says you should be motivated by fear. The gospel says you should be motivated by love. Religion focuses on what I am doing. The gospel focuses on what God is doing. Religion sees hardship in life as punishment from God. The gospel sees that God works all things for good. Religion condemns and criticizes. The gospel gives life and life to the full. Religion tries to get life from rule following. The gospel gives life through Jesus. Religion says, I need to earn my position before God. The gospel says, your position before God is a gift. Religion is about what I have to do. The gospel is about what I get to do. Religion ends in either pride or despair. The gospel ends in humble and confident joy. So he is uh, focused on relationship. The whole Bible is focused on relationship. And so uh, when we read these texts, if you love me relationally, you're going to obey my commands. Those who accept my commands, and he talks about love here. So we see that Jesus in this text, let's talk about the commandment part. He says, my commands. My commands. Do what I say. Now, what are these commands? If you love me, you will obey my commands. You know, it's funny how we'll read a text like this and suddenly begin to uh, just place into this maybe a whole bunch of kinds of religious rules. Those are those commands. It's all that stuff that I really don't, you know, I just, I just want to do, but I'm not allowed to do because I'm a Christian. You know, those are the kind of commands. But what are Jesus' commands? What are the commands of Jesus? If you've been following along in this, in this passage, that should be a no-brainer. <laughs> because over and over and over and again in the upper room, we know what Jesus' command is. To love. This is his primary command. In John 13, Jesus says, just before this, he says, I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another. John 15, Jesus says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And he says again, this is my command. In case you, in case you missed this, in case you start thinking it's about a whole bunch of other things, this is my command. Love each other. First John, this is the same author as the book of John. He would agree. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you've heard before, yet it is also new, because Jesus said this is a new command. Or verse 323, this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. In, in verse 421, he has commanded uh, given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Not just John, but James would agree that this is the preeminent command. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul would agree with this. The only thing that counts, he says, is faith expressing it through love. Through love. And the, the most important command, the only one that really counts, is faith express, expressing itself through love. He says the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, so when Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands, uh, he's in essence saying, if you love me, you're going to love people. I mean, sometimes in our, you know, a religious mindset, we want to make it about all these other rules and then kind of leave loving people on the side because that's not as important of all these little rules. That's what the Pharisees did. They had all their little rules, but they actually didn't love people. 
And this is why Jesus looked at them and said, actually, you're children of the devil. The most important command, the, the one that covers a multitude of sins, the Bible says, is to love one another. So Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to love people. And if that's not convincing that this is the main command, then, I mean, we can just go back to 1 Corinthians 13. And sometimes we read this kind of nicely at a wedding, but we miss the power of this. I mean, he says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I mean, imagine if you came to somebody who just, who like knew all these earthly languages and they were somehow a miraculous gift from God and they just spoke in tongues and prayed in tongues all the time because they were amazing. We might look at that person and go, wow, that person just has an, they're incredible. I mean, they just must love God. But Paul says, if they don't have love, they're just a noisy gong. Because love is the preeminent command. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, I mean, imagine if you came across somebody that you said, hey, I need a word for me. They would give it, and it would always be perfect. In fact, they know, it says, all of God's secret plans. Imagine if there was another Christian in this church who knew all of God's secret plans. I mean, we would no doubt, like, well, that person must be closer to God than any of us. I mean, they just must have a, they just must be pray 24-7 or something. They must be amazing. But if they don't have love pulses, they're nothing. You see, sometimes in that, in that religion kind of world, we always put gifts ahead of love. We think if you just got amazing gifts, then you're just amazing. Well, it's, it's primarily about love. She said, if you love me, you're going to love people. And even if you have these incredible gifts, but you don't have love, you're nothing. Imagine if, if someone had faith, they could move mountains. You know, the government began to hire them because it's cheaper just to, they can just pray to move that mountain. They don't need trucks and excavators. And, I mean, we would, I mean, the world is like, that person, they're just so close to God. They're amazing. You know? But if they don't have love, they're nothing. And if I, have, I gave everything I have to the poor, imagine if someone here sold their house, their car, everything, gave out their bank accounts, and even gave people their MasterCard so they could end up in debt and just gave it all away. <laughs> I mean, we're like, man, that is like the most generous Christ-like person ever. But again, if they don't have love. And so when we think of Jesus saying this phrase, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Please, please think, if you love me, you're going to love people. And you can throw some of the other stuff in there if you want. But the highlight, the preeminent command clearly all throughout the New Testament is to love people. And so if we love Jesus, let's love people. That is the most important, important thing. And so obedience actually flows out of this relationship, this idea of loving other people. Uh, it flows out of a relationship with God. And uh, for instance, 1 John 4, it says we love each other. Why? Because we just want to follow the rules? <laughs> no, because he first loved us. And when you understand how much the Father loves you, you just can't help loving other people. And this is why I'm excited about the A school, because you know every person I know who's gone to the A school, a school just, they just have this love that kind of flows out of them, and, and, and they're living into that primary command that he, uh, God asks us to do. And so it flows out of this relationship. Or Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that God has done for you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, our obedience actually flows out of relationship. That means the relationship is the most important thing. 
We don't put obedience as the primary thing. We put relationship as the primary thing. And out of that flows, flows obedience. Now, 1 John 4 says that God is love. In other words, God can't be unloving. Because he is. That God doesn't just love, but uh, he, he actually is. His nature is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. I mean, Jesus in that John 14 passage, how God has come down and he makes his home with us. The all-loving, perfectly loving, perfectly powered God lives in us. I mean, just think about that. The most loving being in this entire universe lives not like across the lake, you know, in Nelson there, or not like in Pluto. He's actually in, in us. The most powerful, loving being in the entire universe actually lives in us. And this is why we, uh, all through the Bible, it's just said that we need to love people. Because, I mean, imagine if someone came to you, and I think I used this a couple weeks ago, and said, you know, I have the spirit of a rock star in me. I'm a great rock star. I have his spirit in my heart. And you listen to them play music, and they're just, they just are horrible. You say, I don't think you have the spirit of a great rock star in you. Or imagine someone says, I have the spirit of a great artist in me. And you look at their paintings, and they're just, they're just ugly. You say, I don't think you have the spirit of a great artist in you. But we have the spirit of the most loving being in the universe in us. And you can see why over and over and over again in the book of John, 1 John, Paul, uh, John is saying that we have to love. If you don't love, you don't know God. Because if, if God is in you, then you're going to love people. <laughs> and sometimes we've got funky stuff in our life and our history that prevents that a little bit. And we've got to work through that. But, but, but God lives in you. Just think about the most loving God actually is in you. And then this is this. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. The very thing that Jesus asks us to do, which is be obedient to his command to love, actually comes out of God living in us and us living in God. Because the more we live in God, he says, our love grows more perfect. This is not a forced obedience on God. Like, you better obey. <laughs> he wants our obedience to come from our heart. Just the way I'm obedient to my wife because it flows from my heart, he wants it to be the same uh, with others. Uh, we can look at this in, in terms of a fruit tree. Uh, I mean, whenever you see a, a fruit tree producing fruit, at least I've never seen it, maybe you have, but I've never seen a fruit tree just like shaking and sweating, like, come on, apple! <laughs> come on, apple! <laughs> just, come on! And, like, just sweating and just like, trembling, working so hard. And uh, I've never seen an apple tree, you know, just like, you know, filled with despair. Oh, it's not working. Hard. I mean, an apple tree just sits in the sun absorbs the water, absorbs the nutrients, and just naturally fruit begins to appear. And, and this is the way God wants us to live. But it's not about striving to follow all the rules because that's just going to end up in pride or despair. And we're going to think we're better than other people or we're going to distance ourselves from God or whatever it might be. He just wants to plant ourselves in a relationship with God. And then out of that, our love begins to grow more perfect. And all of a sudden, we begin to find ourselves loving people that we weren't able to love. We begin to forgive people that we weren't able to forgive. All of a sudden, a juicy piece of gossip comes our way, and we just bury it. We don't pass it on because all of a sudden, this love of God is, is growing in our hearts. And this is what God wants from us. And this is why Jesus says, if you love me, he says, you will obey. If you love me, if you have a relationship with me, 
you're just, you, you will. It's just going to be something that you start wanting to do because the love of God is in you, and that love wants to come out to love and bless other people. It's described here in Jeremiah 17. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and who have a relationship with the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along the riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried about long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. I mean, this isn't a picture of a striving person and fighting like I gotta obey. It's just, I'm just in the water. I'm just in the love of God. I'm just in his presence. I seek his face daily. And I just never fail to produce fruit because it just naturally begins to flow out of my life. This is what God wants from us. And, and we just let, and we know this because we look around, even in this church, and we see people who are just in love with God. And I see somebody who just love God and you're following God. And you, you just naturally do things that please God. <laughs> you, just naturally, you just naturally follow in his footsteps. And then there are other people who are just fighting in the religious way. Just, I got to follow the rules and I got to, and, and, they're, and they're miserable. And they're hurting other people. And God wants you to move from a focus on obedience to a focus on relationship. Because out of that actually flows this following of the commands. In fact, this is why this verse can make sense. And again, you can read this in two different ways. This is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Some people read this and like, I just don't understand. Like, his commands are so burdensome. Like, this is so hard to live the Christian life. It's just so burdensome, you know, all these rules or whatever. And, 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 and they're reading it through, like, obedience is the only thing in the Christian life. But this is love for God. And when you know how to love God, and you just give and receive love, Father and your relationship with him all of a sudden you begin to understand that God is 100% loving he's 100% good everything he asks therefore is 100% loving and 100% good so the best thing that I can do for my life and others is, is to follow his commands is to love people and all of a sudden you begin to realize that his commands are actually not burdensome their life because flowing out of this relationship and uh, I guess that's it <laughs> the tap is turned off. Okay. Father, <laughs> we thank you that you pursue us. Uh, God, we thank you that you desire us just to walk closer and closer and closer with you. And God, I pray for anyone in this room who is just tired of trying to follow all the rules. God, if they feel ashamed, maybe they feel distant uh, between you, I feel distance. God, I, I just pray for a shift in their thinking from rules to relationship. And God, that you say that we can boldly come into your throne room of grace when we need mercy and we need help, and, and that means we come even when we're at our worst, that we can come because you love us. God, I pray you to reveal more and more and more, God, your heart to us. God, that we would just talk to you throughout the day, that we love you, we would lean into you. And God, out of this love relationship would flow this natural desire to put a smile on your face because we want to put a smile on your face as you put a smile on our face. So God, we thank you for your work in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name.